0: G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Today's guest, we have our second international guest. Evan, how are you going, mate? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Zach? Yeah, great, thank you. Great, thank you. We've uh, been trying to schedule this one for a while. Um, one of our mutual friends put us in in contact a few months back, Stephen, yeah. Stephen Price from uh, Rogue Antler Arts. yep so yeah he um, definitely. he's uh fairly close to you 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 know him quite well he um made my my wedding ring <laughs> he does some uh, amazing work
1: yeah he definitely does i've known him for all of our adult life and most of our high school and i think even a little bit before high school
0: yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I um, asked him if he wanted to be on the podcast and he's like, look, I don't, I don't like hearing myself speak. I don't like, <laughs> like any recorded, <laughs> video, <laughs> any recorded video, but Hey, I know this badass Hunter that, that you should definitely get on. And, uh, he sent, sent you over to me.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and let everybody know about myself and all my goals and all my hunting experiences.
0: Well, yeah, you've got a, quite an interesting story and you've got some awesome goals ahead of you. So let's jump straight into it. Where are you from, Evan?
1: So I live in Southern Oregon in a town called Medford. I've lived here most of my life since I was about two. I was born in Southern California, and then my family moved up here. And my dad's job transferred him up here and I've been up here ever since.
0: Awesome, awesome. It seems like a few people from California move up to Oregon. One of my um good mates, Joey, his, he was California born and he lives up in Oregon now too. So it's nice. uh, definitely a beautiful part of the country and it's on my bucket list to, to go see and hopefully hunt yep. one day.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of animals up here. If you find the right spots, you can find black bears, blacktail mule deer, antelope, elk, all kinds of turkeys and a lot of upland birds and waterfowl
0: that's awesome it's It sounds very game rich. Um, one of my mates from Australia he went over there a few years ago. He shot his first bear and his first elk with a bow. He shot a three thirty elk for his first elk. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a little tough to beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be pretty disappointed after that because there's, there's not too many kicking around bigger than that for your, <laughs> your first one. No,
1: not in Oregon. <laughs> a, 330, a 330 elk is a big elk in Oregon.
0: Oh, it was, it, it's insane, <laughs> insane. So yeah. what do you do for work?
1: So I work at a sporting goods store. I've done multiple departments in the store. Right now I'm in the cash, uh, cashier area.
0: Very nice. So what type of stuff do you sell at the sporting goods store? Because in Australia, our sporting gear stores pretty much only stick to sports stuff. We don't sell any Uh, hunting stuff or anything. No,
1: this one is mostly hunting, fishing, and camping and that kind of stuff. So, Binoculars, rifles, spotting scopes, handguns, knives, lots of fishing gear.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome because, yeah, here in Australia we have our firearm stores or our archery stores or our camping stores and then sports stores are like footballs and soccer balls and <laughs> tracksuits. Yeah, suits and... No,
1: this one doesn't have any kind of actual sports. It's all outdoor hunting, fishing, camping kind of stuff.
0: That sounds like my type of sporting store.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nice.
0: So how did you get into hunting, fishing in the outdoors?
1: kind of passion from just watching tv and hearing stories from people and then just decided you know i can probably do it it's just going to take a little bit of a different way to do it because being in a wheelchair and on crutches it's definitely a little bit more of a challenge but i see that challenge is something i can overcome i just got to do it a little bit of a different way
0: so that's let's jump into that for people that don't know who you are What's what's mm-hmm. the story behind you in a wheelchair, mate?
1: So I was born with spina bifida. So when I was born, doctors basically told my parents the worst case scenario would be I would de- be dependent on everybody for everything for the rest of my life. And I've proved them wrong from day one. I've been able to go all over the state of Oregon, all over Nevada. I went to Wyoming in 2019 for a week with a buddy, got a couple antelope. And I've got a black bear, two black-tailed deer, four, three or four turkeys so far here in Oregon. Um, then I went to Alaska in August of 2021 for two weeks and got my barren ground caribou.
0: That's awesome, man. Like not many people have accomplished that, let alone out of a, out of a wheelchair. That's, that's incredible.
1: Yeah, yep. and as far as I understand, I'm the first person to be up there in the Brooks Range in a wheelchair and on crutches.
0: That's that's sweet. That um, that pronghorn antelope you got too is a beast.
1: Yeah, I I never officially got him scored, but we guessed him probably in the mid 70s from just the the measurements that we did roughly while we were out there.
0: So what's what's a big pronghorn? I don't know, and I think about measuring prong, pronghorn antelope.
1: So the golden number is eighty inches overall, yep. Very but nice. everybody has a different way that they see a trophy. To me, if I'm successful, that's a trophy. Even just being out there seeing them was a successful experience for me.
0: Yeah, exactly. I um I agree with you there 100. percent The trophy's in the eye of the holder, whether it's got antlers, horns, or if it's the skin or the meat. Yep, exactly. So, how long have you actually been hunting for?
1: So, I've been hunting since I was 13 or 14. So, started off with a rifle, didn't get any kind of success off of that, just wrong time, wrong place kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
1: And then, my first big game animal was in 2009, I got a deer with my bow.
0: Awesome. And what species yeah. of deer is, is that?
1: So it was a blacktail out black here tail. in Southern Oregon.
0: They're only a, a fairly small deer, aren't they? As well, from my understanding, a,
1: a big one is like 150 pounds. So
0: they're not huge. Okay, so 150 pounds. Yep, yep. Bit smaller than me. <laughs> I'm about to, I'm about 200 <laughs> yeah. pounds.
1: Yeah, they're they're not a giant like a mule deer or an elk, but they're definitely respectable, and especially since this time of year they're really elusive they like to be out there late at night or right before daylight yeah they're definitely- so if you find if you find a big one in the middle of the morning or the middle of the evening you've found something special
0: so when you're chasing them are you chasing them on private or public land
1: so this year I lucked out. I have public or I have private property that I'm hunting right now. It's part of my family's property. Perfect. So I'm just waiting for the right time for that right one to walk by my blind while I'm out there.
0: So you are hunting blind a blind. It's just a pop-up blind or a permanent blind.
1: Yeah, it's just a pop-up blind. Very nice. So it's yeah, it's definitely a big help. I think that them not seeing me make big movements is going to help is I was within 60 yards of a beautiful big buck last year. I just couldn't do anything about it because he was off too far in the trees.
0: Yeah. That, that it's, it's different. So are you hunting out the wheelchair mostly?
1: Yeah. I'm in my track chair.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how is, is that pretty, pretty noisy moving through the woods or? actually
1: believe it or not it's not that bad it's about the size of a quad but because it's battery powered yeah. it doesn't make any noise other than whatever i'm going over on the ground if it's dry leaves or rocks or anything like that and if i'm quiet if i'm slow enough it sounds like something walking so it's not really that much of a noise maker out there in the woods
0: that's good then that's good let's um, you you send some photos through of of you on it it's a hell of a machine that's for sure
1: yeah, it is definitely an amazing machine. It's given me a lot more freedom and confidence out in the mountains.
0: So what's the story behind that? How did you um, come across one of, one of those? So,
1: so actually, it's funny. The way that I ended up with it was a, a customer of mine is a really good friend. He's kind of like a grandpa to me. He saw it at one of the sports and outdoor shows one year and decided that he was going to take it upon himself to purchase one for me because he knew how, how, how serious I was about being out in the mountains and wanting to get farther out away from roads. And it totally surprised me. I didn't think anything like that would ever happen. I thought when he called me and told me to come over to the house, he had something to talk to me about. It was going to be like he wanted to go take me on an antelope hunt or something in Idaho for a couple of days then he handed me the final cashier's check and said I have to hand it to the lady to make the chair officially mine.
0: Yeah, wow. That's that's incredible. That's um yeah. something I'm very envious of is the outdoors community in America. It is um like they're much more together. They're much more of a community than it is down here. Um we're we're slowly working on it down here, but um it just yeah. seems like a like a closer family group in America.
1: Yeah. For the most part, it is. There are some of those ones that see some negative in it, the way that certain people hunt because they don't think it's the conventional way to hunt, but it's all in how you see it as yourself. Some people don't see a spike as a trophy. Some people say that that's the best thing that they could ever get. Exactly. I mean, honestly, I've always been, if it's a good buck on the first day, I'm not passing it up.
0: Yeah, I've I've come to those dilemmas. I've let stuff walk, and then on the last day, I've gone, man, I should have kicked that, so I've learned from my mistakes now.
1: (laughs) Yep. I, I had that happen a couple times last year, and then I've had that happen a few times throughout my whole hunting career. I've thought, man, I probably shouldn't have let that one go, or, man... I should have waited a little bit longer and got a little bit better shot on it.
0: <laughs> so going to Alaska to hunt caribou, what, what type of challenges did you face taking the chair up there and organizing to get up there?
1: So this one was a totally out there experience for me too. I was not expecting to be able to do anything like this until I was probably retired. It's yeah. one of those Once in a lifetime bucket list hunts that everybody that even thinks about Alaska would want to do. I was two years of planning and exercising and mentally preparing, and it all fell together at the right time for me to get out there with a couple friends. And it's um, Caleb White is one of my closest friends. We've known each other since we were in school, and he's my driving force behind all of that to keep me motivated and give me the encouragement to do whatever i want to and not care what people think and it was with riley pitts and stephanie pitts they're the owners of big game backcountry guides and they live here in southern oregon also they have a big section of land they're able to hunt up in the arctic national wildlife refuge up in the brooks range in alaska
0: awesome so two years of planning and exercising and um yep. what type of gear did you you take up there
1: so another customer of mine had a another manual wheelchair but it had bigger tires on it like you would see on those like like the e-bikes yeah the big knobby tires so it made it a lot easier for me to get around out there in the on the tundra and through the rocks and so we used that while we were up there. I used my crutches a little bit around base camp, but only enough to get in and out of a couple of the buildings. Yeah. For the most part, I was in my wheelchair the whole time, and to get my chair up there, we had to put it on the uh, Riley's Super Cub on the wing. It wouldn't fit inside oh. the plane.
0: That would have been nerve-wracking watching it on the wing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was kind of worried a little bit, but I figured, no, if we if it falls off, it's open enough country, we can find it <laughs> if we have to land somewhere else.
0: So it would have been so it, very difficult to manoeuvre through the tundra, I could imagine. its I've heard stories that yeah. it's hard enough to walk through, let alone try and navigate through in a wheelchair.
1: Yeah, it is like walking on wet sponges from what everybody was selling me. Even in my chair, I could feel that the ground was not as solid as it would be if you were on like gravel or even packed dirt on like a, a dirt road out in the mountains.
0: Yeah. That's, that, that's an incredible experience for sure. Um,
1: yeah, it was. Yeah.
0: So, On your normal hunts, what type of gear are you taking with you? Bow, rifle, what's in your backpack?
1: So for me, I'm pretty basic when it comes to my hunting stuff. I use uh, a Hoyt bow with East and Axis arrows. And they're, for most people think they're pretty lightweight. They're a little over 400 grains. But for everything I've shot with my bow, my, my deer and my turkeys, I've never had any issues with them.
0: Awesome. Are you running two-blade or three-blade broadheads?
1: Uh, three-blade fixed blade, uh, broadheads for deer and then expandable two-blade for turkey.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Uh, what what yeah. pound bow are you shooting, mate?
1: Max is out at 65. Right now I'm just under 60 until I get my shoulders back and the the right situations i did something to one of them a few months ago and i'm just trying to ease back into it without hurting myself
0: yeah that's a good idea yeah you don't want to um, go too hard hard with your shoulder not being able to shoot for a while yep yeah especially
1: since i use my arms all day every day in my wheelchair and my crutches
0: yeah yeah exactly so what challenges do you face getting out into the woods
1: Mostly the terrain, if I, if it's too rough, I have to figure out the best way to get around like fallen trees and big rocks. So for me, it's easiest if I'm hunting on somebody's private property somewhere possibly or off of like a, a logging skid road somewhere with clear cuts, something that I have a big open spot to look through.
0: Yeah, nice, nice. So what type of distance are you, if like you're going on some of these private properties, is it just in and out or yeah, because hunting in Australia, we do a lot of walking. It's, it's all mainly spot and stalk. Not many people hunt out of blinds or tree stands. So we cover, cover some distance.
1: Yeah. There's been a couple of pieces of property that I've gone probably a quarter, half mile on, but most of them it's just sit and wait next to some of the, uh, the tree lines or sit and wait next to some water somewhere within a few hundred yards of where
0: I park. Awesome. So can, can you bait in Oregon or?
1: For deer and elk we can, but not for predators. So we have to just kind of pick and choose where we go for the deer or for the, uh, cougars and the bears.
0: Awesome. So what, what type of baits are you using for, For deer and elk?
1: So there's a few different ones that I use for deer and elk. Mostly minerals like the salt licks and stuff like that that you would find for cattle. But with a few extra things that um, one of my buddies actually created another uh, type of mineral that he's producing now. It's called Blacktail Drop Zone. I'm one of the pro staff on there right now. and It's produced some pretty good animals on a lot of people's cameras and it's pretty reasonable price it's a you'd find it in stores here locally in a couple of small stores and he's getting ready to do a website pretty soon i believe with some more products on it so we've seen some pretty good growth on some of the deer in the last few years just from testing it out on a few spots that we know have some good quality deer, deer already on
0: yeah it's it's, it's definitely interesting because like here in australia again we don't the deer don't really come into bait. Um, yeah. Minerals and all of that type of stuff isn't isn't being used. There's a couple of guys that I've known that have tried it, and it seems to work okay, but it's just not massive over here to do. And then state yeah. to state in America, I, I assume the regulations change pretty, pretty hardcore, depending on what state you're in.
1: Yeah, there's some states that you can't even hunt with, lighted knocks or mechanical broadheads. Um, and then there's other states that you can put out a hundred pounds of corn and get every animal in the mountain to come out there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've been there, Texas. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Texas is one of those that they have automated feeders and pretty much everything on that property comes out once they hear that feeder go off.
0: Oh, it's, it's, it's insane. Um, Mexico was the same as well. just, as soon as that feeder goes off, yep. a couple minutes, everything comes out out the um, all the spiky stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yep. Exactly. I've seen videos. of My buddies out there in Texas, and they said, just watch out in the in the bushes about a hundred yards away on the video, and you'll see a lot of deer and a lot of hogs come out as soon as they hear that feeder go off.
0: Yeah, it was hogs, javelina, um, deer. Then quail and all sorts. It just all comes out. Raccoons. <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: It's definitely a feeding frenzy when they hear those machines go off.
0: So what's your top beginner tip for someone getting into hunting?
1: Practice. Patience and practice. It's, that's if, you're, if, if you have a goal in mind and that's your only focus and you just focus on trying to be the best right away that's your biggest downfall just take your time learn the process and don't just shoot the first deer you see or first berry you see experience life out there in the mountains for a little while and see what's out there. Because yes. there's times that you won't have the that one golden ticket and find the the animal you're looking for I mean, it's happened to me for three years on one deer. I've been trying to get this one specific buck, and he's never come out in front of me during the daylight.
0: No, that's that's Man. definitely a great great beginner tip for sure, and it can be um, used in a lot of aspects in life, not just just hunting. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. How frustrating is targeting one deer? Um, I've got a bow only property that I I've dedicated bow only here. And yeah, the last three years, I've seen the same buck on trail camera, but just getting out there and trying to find him.
1: (laughs) Yep. I was 10 minutes away from finding him one day, and it was literally, he showed up 10 minutes after I left to go to work. (laughs) I bet he was there the entire time, just staying just far enough away out in the trees that I couldn't see him.
0: (laughs) That's... That's sucky. Um so you run yeah. trail cameras, that's how you how you know that?
1: Yeah, I have a couple trail cameras on my property that I hunt in different angles watching a couple trails. So I had it angled just right that I could see him walking over the ridge towards the camera. He stopped about 20 yards away, looked right at the camera, turned around and walked away.
0: <laughs> Sneaky buggers. They um Yeah. They- that would switch on pretty, pretty well over there in, in archery season, I'd assume.
1: Yeah, between now and probably mid-October, they'll be really looking for the, the does out there, maybe even a little bit later depending on the weather because right now it's still really hot, so they're still kind of trying to figure things out. They've all, Most of them have shed their velvet, so now it's time to start finding their territory, pushing all the younger bucks that are not mature out of their area. And the bigger ones will definitely start getting a little bit more careless as the weather changes and as the moon changes, things will definitely start heating up a little bit more.
0: Awesome. It's crazy to think that your deer are just shedding their their velvet where our deer are starting to shed their antlers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, ours don't shed their antlers until... Early, early spring, and so what they ab- do
0: about end of February, March for you, is that yeah, give or take about that time, and then you
1: start seeing them start to grow again, April, May, you'll start seeing a little bit of growth, and then, as the summer progresses, they'll get bigger and bigger almost daily, you can watch them grow,
0: that's awesome, yeah, um, our rut here for fallow deer and red deer is is April, so. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no. For us, it's between September and November, depending on the weather. Very nice.
0: So, tags yep. and licensing in Oregon what's what's the go over there?
1: So, for a resident for tags and license, I can do a tag, my license and my deer tag for eighty dollars or so, and then my bear tag was sixteen fifty. And my elk tag was forty nine fifty,
0: so that's incredible.
1: Two hundred dollars, that- dollars or so for all three animals.
0: Is that all over the counter? Yeah,
1: all over the counter. Then there's also some custom or some draw hunts on the east side of the state for deer and elk and antelope, but some of them are pretty easy units to get, and some of them take a long time. I know a couple guys that have been putting in for one specific area for elk for over 20 years so but the reason it is is because it is one of the trophy units in oregon it's not uncommon to see 330 to 400 inch elk out in that
0: unit yeah well that's that's insane that's some some big elk that's for sure
1: Yeah, it's definitely some big animals over there. We have some big elk over here too, but just that northeast corner of Oregon holds some true giants because it's right over the Snake River.
0: So how far do you have to travel from your area to hunt elk? So
1: for me, I got a tag that's good for the unit right next to where I'm hunting at the end of October for a week, which is only about an hour away. So this year it's not too far. A couple of years ago I had to travel f- four hours to get to the unit that I was going to hunt.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, so that's, that's about yeah. average here for uh, one of our, our better hunting areas in the state. Um, what about bear? What, what type of distance are you traveling?
1: Yeah, about an hour or so for one of the spots that I go to. Um, but there's a lot closer spots, too. I just haven't really explored them too much. Yeah.
0: Very nice. So are they, they pretty common common to find?
1: Yeah, bears are very common to find in southern Oregon. It's kind of becoming a problem for some people in the area. Cougars and bears are very, very common. They've actually been seen multiple times in in town here, both cougars and bears, not far from Uh, residential areas
0: do you have uh, plans to hunt a cougar with a bow or
1: i don't know if i want to do it with a bow unless (laughs) it just
0: happens to be during archery
1: season while i'm out there hunting deer yeah but i would that's definitely on my bucket list for the the 10 animals that i want is a cougar so i'm working on that super 10 i got uh, four animals out of the 10 so far so cougar and elk this year hopefully and then i'm going to work on the the sheep the mountain goat uh bison and a moose in the next few years too hopefully
0: that's awesome so hopefully
1: i'm working on trying to be the first person in a wheelchair to do the super 10 so i'm almost halfway there
0: that's awesome Um, definitely keen to Keen to follow that. You've sent sent photos through of what you've taken so far and it's it's incredible. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I'm trying to encourage as many people as I can, both in disability types of situations and able-body people that just don't have the the uh, that drive to do it right now because they don't think they can do it to do things because you never know what you're capable of until you really try.
0: Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, so there's Austin Jones out there and, um, Billy draw. Um, they're amazing, amazing people to watch for inspiration.
1: Yep. I follow both of them. I text both of them and, I was really excited to see that Austin got close to that big mule deer it was a little frustrating that he didn't get a shot but it or get to hit it but it was a good good video and good pictures and good story behind it
0: yeah yeah Austin and his dad like they make some incredible content they're so good to watch and they've they're both characters they've got such a great sense of humor
1: yeah they're they're great people and Billy is very inspirational he's always trying to inspire people and make people laugh and smile and he's just a good-hearted guy
0: yeah billy was probably one of the first americans i actually started talking to about hunting um oh heck at least 10 maybe 12 years ago yeah but yeah he's he's always putting all that inspirational stuff out there and yeah he's he does does some amazing amazing stuff yeah he definitely does and he's met some cool people. Yep. Um, I oh, can't, re- yeah. can't remember his name, but the, uh, guy from swamp people go hunting down there with him. That was, that was pretty incredible to watch. I reckon.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really inspired by his outgoingness about that kind of stuff too. And also, um, Josh Carney, I don't know if you've, Seen him on Facebook yep. or Instagram.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a crazy story. Um, yeah, that one that'll tug at your heartstrings oh. if you if
1: you really listen to the story behind it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that yeah, it's he's he's a real really nice bloke. Um, and yeah, he's been having yeah. having some issues of late, unfortunately. So hopefully he um, has a speedy recovery yeah. and everything goes well for him.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him recover fast. He's another one that I looked up to for a long time when I first started really getting into hunting and just trying to make myself get out there, out of get out of my comfort zone. He inspired me with a lot of things too.
0: Yeah, definitely. All three of them are very, very inspirational people. Um,
1: yeah. So, and I think. Also- is trying to do the super ten, uh, super 10 or he might even be trying to do this North America Super Slam. So, we I kind of I want to see how far both of us can take this.
0: <laughs> it's going to be a small battle between you two.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, I t- think he I think he's got one or two more than I do so far, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, he's been at it a few years though. He um he got he goes yeah. hard. <laughs> So top five items for a beginner, what do you recommend? Especially working in a sporting store. You, I'm assuming you're talking to people about hunting day in and day out.
1: Yeah. A good backpack, of course, to carry your stuff. Um, depending on your physical ability, a pack frame so you can pack out the animal. Um, knife, of course, is important. That's one of the more important ones. Any types uh, of knives
0: in particular you recommend
1: it all depends on the situation i have fixed blade knife for myself yep. yeah i use bench made fixed blade knives just because i want something sturdy for cutting through the the meat and the tendons and the if i have to break through the the pelvis bone then i want it to really hold up to it
0: just on that quickly how do you go breaking up a a deer, and um, other animals?
1: So It's a little difficult for me because I can't stand over it and yeah. gut it, but I usually have a buddy help me with it the best that I can. I, I can scan it pretty well if given the right circumstances. Um, what I usually do is I hold like one of the legs so they can start breaking it off the, the body a little bit, and then we get into the the other parts of the meat like back strap and the tenderloins and stuff that's more difficult for me to do so my buddy usually helps me with that kind of stuff
0: do you try and hang them up to break them down we did on my last
1: deer because it was just easier that way so it made it a lot quicker to do it that way for me and i could do a little bit of it myself i could get the hindquarters quarters off a little easier that way
0: Remind me after to um send you a link. There's a um, company down here in Australia called, I think it's called Lift and Lock, and they're, they're kind of like a little um ratchet lift system, and you can pull a deer up and hang it with one hand. Like, you just pull, pull it, and it takes oh, wow. very minimal effort. Um, I'll have to send you a okay. link to that. That'd probably be very beneficial to you, I think.
1: Yeah, that would definitely help me a lot, I bet.
0: So we've gone... Backpack, knives, um, what else? Binoculars. Binoculars? very
1: important also, yes. A good pair of binoculars is a lifesaver when you're trying to see an animal at a distance. You don't need a big spotting scope, just a good quality pair of binoculars.
0: And what binoculars are you running?
1: So I right now have the Vortex 10 by 42 Furies. They're binoculars and rangefinder combo. Very nice. it makes it a little easier than trying to carry a rangefinder in my pocket, look at it real quick and then put it down and then try and get my bow. I just got my binoculars that I put on my chest pack and I'm good from there.
0: Yeah, I love I love my bino harness. They're so handy. Um yeah. I was really fortunate I don't remember how I got in contact
1: with them, but Alaska Guide Creations Gave me one of their bino harnesses.
0: That's awesome. They're a they're a good company. They make some good stuff. I'm I'm running a Badlands bino harness. It's a third me a third hand me down.
1: <laughs> Those are still really good quality. Also,
0: oh, they're they're awesome. And what's yeah. what's your la- last beginner top beginner item? Um,
1: for like in my. Like hunting gear type stuff? or Yeah, hunting gear, just
0: an uh, item just for beginners to get out, yeah.
1: Um, so I went over the binoculars, the spotting scope you don't really need, binos, good knife, good quality, like warm weather gear if you plan on hunting in the mountains in the fall or winter. It doesn't need to be heavy. It just needs to get you out of the rain.
0: Yeah. Perfect.
1: So if if your body stays warm, you'll stay comfortable and confident and focused on what you're doing. If you get cold, you'll lose track of what you're doing. You'll have to really refocus and you'll just get uncomfortable and miserable because there's nowhere to go to get out of the rain or the wind.
0: Yeah, exactly. How do you go about keeping warm because you, you're being in the chair you're not moving around as much um like boots right. and socks and how do you go with
1: so for me i use uh i lo- i layer up on my socks because i don't have the best circulation in my feet so i just put two pairs of wool socks on if i'm if i'm hunting in the winter time and in the summertime it's really hot so i usually just wear a thin pair of socks and my hunting boots, which are pretty cheap boots. They're just regular. Uh, I don't even remember what brand they are. They're, they're inexpensive. They're like the Walmart special kind of like maybe $50 pair of boots. So nothing crazy, just enough yeah. to keep my feet warm and dry and they're waterproof. So that was the main thing was just get some waterproofing. If you don't have waterproof boots, to make sure that when you do get your feet wet, it doesn't stay wet.
0: Yeah, perfect. Zombie apocalypse weapon. What What are you going in a zombie apocalypse? What are you using? My bow. Your bow? Awesome.
1: <laughs> my bow. It's quiet. They won't know I'm there. Definitely my bow.
0: <laughs> what have you forgotten on a hunting trip?
1: Oh, boy. Um... I didn't forget it, but I left it in Alaska when I was up there. My good hunting knife, I left it at oh, no. the, yeah, my good Benchmade is up there
0: in the Brooks Range right now. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you forget that? You just put it down?
1: <laughs> it was actually the day I left. that I, I stayed at the Dead Horse uh, oil field camp. To, to get ready to go out and onto the airplane. I stayed there for the night, and I think I left it in my room while I was there yeah. for the night.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> What's So the one mo- of the oil
1: field workers is going to get a really nice hunting knife.
0: Yeah, that would be cheering, that's for sure. What's the most important yeah. item you take out hunting with you?
1: Um, the most important hunting item... Besides my bow or my rifle, obviously, would be my track chair.
0: Yeah.
1: If I didn't have that, I wouldn't be able to go more than probably a a quarter mile out into the woods.
0: What's the um, battery life on that?
1: So it's not the best, but it's definitely good. It's about two miles or so, depending on the terrain. Yeah. So I can get out there enough to get a far enough away from the road and the the road noise of the logging trucks and all the guys driving around between camps and hunting spots to get somewhat quiet out there
0: so can you hook like a solar panel or anything up to it so when you get out there it can charge while you
1: (laughs) i was honestly trying to figure that out i don't know if i can or not because it runs off of two 12 volt duracell batteries So it pulls some power for sure. Uh, It Actually, I can plug it into a wall socket. It takes probably, if it's all the way completely run down, it would take an entire night to recharge the batteries.
0: Yeah, wow. Um, How heavy is it? How, How hard is it to transport around?
1: It's about 350 pounds, if I remember correctly.
0: And it's not small, but it's not the size
1: of, like, a side-by-side. It's a one-person... Basically, what it is is it's a one-person bobcat without the the cage around it or, yeah. the, or the skitter on the front. It's got the tracks on it that are really hard rubber, like a tire rubber, and it's battery-powered, so it's almost completely silent other than if I'm going over rocks or something.
0: So, are you transporting it in the back of a truck or a trailer or
1: I have a trailer that I was gifted from uh, another hunter and it's been a lifesaver it's big enough I can put my track chair on it and I could put a cooler on it and probably put some extra hunting gear if I needed to
0: perfect perfect yeah what about what's the most sorry what was that It's
1: definitely been a big help instead of having to call my buddies all the time and say, hey, let's go for a day hunt somewhere. (laughs) I can do it myself pretty much now and just tell my buddies, okay, I'm going to be over here on this side of the mountain for the day. If you don't see me or hear from me by dark, go up this dirt road
0: and bring some batteries (laughs) yeah exactly
1: and it actually is funny i my chair did die on me while i was in eastern oregon antelope hunting out in the middle of an alfalfa field because i was trying to go so slow that the antelope wouldn't catch on to me and apparently if i'm going slow it drains the battery power faster because it's pulling more energy for it (laughs) So, yeah, I, I ended up killing the battery about 200 yards away from my truck. Oh, no. So I had to call my buddy, which was up the road at work, and he came and rescued me on his lunch break.
0: How um, hard is it to move once the batteries died on it?
1: They don't completely die. They just don't have enough juice to run at full charge. So it was only going, like, not even a mile an hour while he was trying to <laughs> push it out of the alfalfa field. So I was basically like trying to push the truck while it's dead.
0: <laughs> uh, I can imagine that, w- that would be a pain in the ass at times.
1: Yeah, I felt bad for him, but I'm glad that he was there to help me out. And he offered, no matter what time of day or night it was, if I got stuck like that, he would come out and find me and help me out.
0: Uh, it sounds like you've got a, a strong friend base around you, which is is very good yeah what's this
1: i'm very fortunate for all the people that have encouraged and supported me throughout my whole not just my hunting career but my whole life family and friends have always told me whatever i have in my mind go for it no matter what the consequences are there's always a way to figure it out even if you have to do it five or six times a dozen times a hundred times there's
0: always a way Exactly, exactly. What's the most dangerous thing to happen to you you on a hunt? Oh boy, um, I haven't injured myself yet,
1: but on a caribou hunt with Caleb, it was a little sketchy a couple of times trying to catch up to the the herd because where we were at was one of the makeshift runway kind of areas that we were setting on and that's where our spike camp was at and we had to go kind of at an angle across the the flat spot to get to where the caribou were going to go to and we didn't really pay attention to how rough the terrain was (laughs) a couple times we almost ended up over the top of each other over my chair (laughs) because we hit a rock or we would hit a bump in the dirt or we would hit a, a hole in the ground so that was a couple times where we almost hurt ourselves pretty bad is there, so I'd say that's probably one of the more dangerous yeah. ones.
0: Is there any challenges with like certain states laws that you have to keep in mind when you're taking out like the electric chair?
1: Um, I've only hunted Wyoming and my track chair other than Oregon so far. So I'm gonna have to look into it because there are a few states that I do want to hunt for whitetail, uh, mule deer uh, and bison. And I don't know what their rules are or how they categorize my track chair. I know in Oregon, it's categorized as a mobility device. So I'm exempt from having to be off of those uh, dirt roads that no, uh, no motorized vehicles are allowed on. Yeah, Because they consider it foot traffic, basically.
0: Well, that's, that's, that's good. Hopefully um, the rest of the states are that convenient for you.
1: I hope so, because it would make it a lot easier than having to go in the into those spots on my crutches or in my regular manual wheelchair.
0: Yeah, that would be um, very, very difficult to get back there.
1: What's yeah, the, definitely.
0: What's the funniest thing that's happened to you while out hunting?
1: Again, the, my hunting trip in the Brooks Range with Caleb, it was just when we did actually get out there and hunt there was one time that they the caribou caught us off guard and i don't remember what i said exactly but we just started laughing after it because they were within 100 yards of us and we didn't even realize it until they were right there because the bushes were just tall enough that all i saw was movement out of the corner of my eye i think i said something like wait they're right there and caleb's like what wait and we turned around and they were literally 100 yards away from us off in the bushes (laughs) and we just it was a total yard sale to try and figure out how to do what we needed to do to get to them and by then they were already on the move to get away from us because they realized that we were a potential threat to them so it was definitely an interesting experience on that one
0: so give us a quick rundown how your caribou hunt went so the whole thing was
1: from the 26th of, of August until the 8th or if I remember, 8th or 9th of September. So I had a full 10 plus, almost 12 days, I believe, to get a caribou. And I actually also had an a inland grizzly tag, which was another epic experience seeing a big grizzly at 800 yards. But unfortunately it was the day we landed at Spike Camp, so they couldn't do anything about it but take pictures. Oh, so there's a, a time frame between when you land and when you can hunt. So unfortunately we were inside that bubble of when we couldn't hunt, we could just take pictures and videos.
0: Always the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was and it was my dream bear. It was a big golden body, big chocolate legs, big square head, just the iconic grizzly of Alaska it wasn't a big like brown bear that you would see on the coast but it was definitely one of the prettiest bears I've ever seen
0: yeah both both bears are definitely on the on the bucket list black bears one of my highest highest animals on the list but yeah if the opportunity ever presented itself I'd I'd be keen to take out a brown bear too
1: (laughs) yeah I would love to get my hands on a a big brown bear or grizzly Um, and up there they're not giant but they're definitely something you got to keep in mind that is one of the top of the food chain out there (laughs) they're they're probably five or six hundred pounds some of them get a little bit bigger so they're like i said they're not giant but they're big enough that they're intimidating even at 800 yards i was definitely respectful of that bear
0: they're bigger than any land predator we have down here. So even a small black bear, I reckon I'd be pretty intimidated by, let alone a, a brown bear or a grizz.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was definitely an eye-opening experience seeing that bear walking across that hillside. And then something scared it, and it took off running like it was running for its life. <laughs> and it watching that thing kick up dirt and rocks from... 800 yards away that were the size of a football like they were just pebbles was amazing
0: yeah they're they're a big strong animal very majestic yeah. too
1: <laughs> yes and we got to see I bet easily a thousand caribou within the 10 plus days that I was there
0: that's insane so how far did you end up taking yours from I
1: believe we I think we said it was around 450 yards, if I remember correctly. There was a closer one a day or two earlier that I got a couple shots on. I just – my nerves got the best of me, and I didn't judge the distance correctly, so I shot over it. And then the one that I got was – in my mind, the one that I wanted. I wanted a big, mature bull with a white mane, big white nose, and full velvet. And I got a unique one in full velvet, big white mane. And I'm beyond happy that I got my first caribou. Hopefully one of not a lot, but hopefully one of a few, at least, opportunities to get up there and get another caribou.
0: So are you getting him taxidermied?
1: Oh yeah, one of my close friends has a a shop here locally and he's going to do a pedestal mount for me and i'm trying to decide how exactly i want to do it i know i want to have the back a flat piece of possibly leather with an embossed picture of me with the caribou
0: that'd be sweet what yeah what caliber were you using for it uh 300 wind mag yeah beautiful
1: yeah, and Christensen, 300 wind Mag, and it it was definitely enough to knock that caribou on the ground. He didn't even move. He just sidestepped once and tipped over.
0: Double shoulder or
1: no double lung? Double lung, kind of but... back, a little bit back, kind of at an angle because he was angled, moving his head around. So it was it looked like from what we could tell, it was the back of the lungs. Perfect,
0: perfect. Uh At least that's not too much meat damage being the back of the lungs.
1: (laughs) No, there was a few pounds of rib meat
0: lost, but not much. And what's caribou like to eat? Where, Where do you rate that with the other deer species you've eaten? It's close to elk.
1: I would say, honestly, I would say it's pretty close to elk. I haven't had sheep like the doll sheep, but I've heard that's really good meat also. Um, moose was really good also while I was in Alaska. A couple of years ago, I went up there for another outing with just to get away from everything and explore the interior in the um, Denali National Park and see some of the other smaller communities on a, a float trip, or not float trip, uh, a cruise, a land and sea cruise for I think it was 11 days. And that was a pretty amazing experience too.
0: So in your area with like deer and um, bear and stuff, what's your your um, top eating animals around you? What do you like the most? Elk,
1: Elk is my top for around here. Um, and then a lot of people don't like the taste of bear, but I think it's because they've had it processed incorrectly A lot of people say it's too greasy and it has a weird flavor to it. But personally, I like the taste of black bear. It tastes good to me.
0: I've had black bear jerky. Um, Yeah. That that was pretty pretty nice. But yeah, it's very, very high on my list to to eat because everyone I've spoken to um, has said lots of great things about it. It's like the best beef roast you've ever had but better.
1: Yeah. And another one that a lot of people don't – think about because they assume it's just not politically correct is cougar a lot of people don't understand cougar is really good it's similar to
0: pork yeah i've heard that that's that's another one that i'd be pretty keen to keen to try um while i was down in mexico i was speaking to a few people and apparently bobcat's pretty nice as well but from what i've heard yeah cougar's amazing
1: yeah, cougar is really good. I had it in chili once, and you could not tell the difference between that and pork. I honestly thought it was just pork chili.
0: Do you worry about stuff like trichinosis when you're cooking bear and that?
1: I do, yeah. So we, what I did with the one I got in 2020 was I did salami. So that way it was processed. So I didn't have to worry about having to cook it a lot i just had the the processor do everything to make it into salami
0: what um what type of cost is that taking it to a processor because in my state we're not we're not able to do that and i think they've just opened up one of the states to allow you to take it to a pro take deer to a processor
1: so if i do it myself the cost was a lot less was I lucked out one of my friends is a mobile butcher so he he did the cutting of some of the meat for me off of some of the bones to help me out with that a little bit so that cut down on the cost of that part of the processing it was just the cost to make the salami logs and I think I think I got 50 something pounds off of that bear and it ended up being a about two hundred dollars give or take
0: awesome so reasonably priced then yeah it's like three to five dollars a pound or so awesome awesome and that uh bear salami kick around pretty well
1: yeah it was really good it didn't last long
0: (laughs) (laughs) i bet if you could send it to australia i'd be like yep send us a stick but uh i I don't think you would be able to bring it down here Uh,
1: if I could, I definitely would. I just don't know what the the shipping is and the process to to ship meat to another country is.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, our biosecurity laws are, are pretty strict, especially with probably something like bear and then salami having pork in it. Um, right. Yeah, yeah because of all
1: of the different diseases that could be transferred and
0: yeah yeah exactly i i think one of the only countries we're allowed to bring meat in from is new zealand and that's only we're allo- only allowed to bring about 10 kilos of venison oh wow that's not much no nah, it's not but yeah that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's the difference between australia and new zealand and america is like here It's hunting 365, 24-7. If you want to go out, like you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to go spotlight a deer, you can go spotlight a deer on if you have access to private property.
1: Yeah, no, here there is (laughs) times and dates for everything. So the only thing that you can... I don't even know if you can spotlight for like raccoons and stuff like that. I think it's still a daytime hunt. So it's... It's pretty strict, and you—if you want to keep the fur, you have to have a fur bearers license. Yeah. If you want to sell the fur, you have to have some kind of other license. So, it's definitely a long process on some things, but it's worth it if you're looking to make a little bit of money off of the bobcat or the cougar fur or whatever. I don't know what you can legally sell in Oregon because I've never done it. I've only shot them as a uh, animal for myself to harvest
0: so top five dream animals around the world i know you've got your your north american 10 if you could go anywhere in the world what would your top five animals be
1: i want a red stag really bad yeah that would be on
0: my top five where would Um, would you like new zealand australia um argentina what would you I would do
1: the New Zealand red stag.
0: Yeah,
1: I think that they're really pretty animals and they're big. Um, and then let's see. I want to do the in Africa. I want to do the springbuck slam. So that's four animals all in one. And I want to do it with my bow, which is even more of a challenge. It, I know that certain certain subspecies of them are really skittish and don't like to be around water holes for very long.
0: Yeah. You, you watch those videos of animals around the water holes in Africa and they're very, very twitchy and nervous.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and let's see. So yeah, that's the, the red stag, the springbuck slam, um, another international one. Trying to think. I kind of want to do, and I know it's going to be a, a crazy one that everybody's going to think I am absolutely nuts to do, <laughs> but I, I, I do want to get one of the, um, I want to get a Kate Buffalo Yep. somehow. I know that everybody thinks I am absolutely nuts for wanting to kill something that will kill me if I hit it wrong but that's one of my animals that I want to get. That's not in North America animal.
0: I definitely think so. you can do it. That's for sure. You definitely would be able oh, yeah. to.
1: Yep. And then kind of think what else there's alligator.
0: alligator that would, would be you... a fun.
1: One. I think that would be a fun one.
0: That's on my list. That's
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the last one, trying to think where, where would I want to hunt Marco Polo Ram? Yeah. They... Marco Polo. If I could hunt where they are one day, I would love to get a Marco Polo Ram. Yeah. Of my own. I have had my hands on some of the biggest Marco Polo ram horns I've ever seen when I went to the sheep show in Reno last January. And same thing with some of the biggest doll sheep and California bighorn and Rocky Mountain bighorn horns. It's unreal. Those things are a lot bigger than people realize. A bighorn ram is 200 plus pounds, a Marco Polo ram is almost 400 pounds.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You, you don't, don't picture them being that big.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are, they're huge. I wish I would have taken a picture next to me or next to one of them for proof to show how big they really are. But yeah, their heads are probably 30 plus pounds of solid horns and the same thing with the big horn. Those things are giant. Oh, Even the doll sheep, they're called a thin horned ram. They're not really thin horned. They're just a smaller set of horns.
0: That's incredible. Um, Yeah. What's your favorite thing to cook with um, wild game?
1: Oh, boy. Um, Antelope was really good. Um, I'd say that's right up there with the elk and the bear. Um, Caribou. The all four. Elk, bear, caribou, and... Antelope are all four so far my favorite. I've never had fallow deer yet, but I've heard it's pretty good, and I've never had axis deer. I've heard axis is one of the best out there.
0: Yeah, axis is nice. Um, we call them chittle deer down here. Um, but they're
1: Yeah, I've heard that's the other name for them. That's the scientific name, the official name for them.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's like spotted spotted deer or something like that. What's your favorite dish, yeah. dish to cook with wild game?
1: So what's my favorite dish to yeah. cook? Um, I just like a basic steak or a basic burger made with any of the wild game. Uh, we had, uh, we had meatloaf made out of part of my caribou when we were at camp while we were up there. So that, that was really good too.
0: That would be really nice. So,
1: It was really good. We had a a professional chef at camp the whole time, and Tandy was awesome. She was really funny, really, really funny to talk to, really knowledgeable about a lot of things, not just in the cooking world, but in general. Tandy was awesome. Everybody at camp was so helpful with everything I needed. They actually even tried to modify the outhouse for me the best they could, (laughs) to make it more accessible. They, they added a couple steps to it inside and outside for me and a couple wooden bars for me to hold on to to keep my
0: balance. suppose that's not really something you would pre-think of, really, like a challenge no. that you would think of that you'd have to no. face on that type of...
1: No, they did not think of that because I'm the first one and so far the only one to ever be at camp that's ever been in a wheelchair on crutches. Everybody else has been pretty able-bodied, so yeah. they were they were a little thrown off at first. But once we got a day or two into it and figured out what I could and couldn't do on my own, we modified things to make it a little bit more accessible. And we're going to continue doing that, hopefully. I don't know when it's going to go live, but I've talked to Riley and Stephanie, and they're trying to do, I don't know if they want me to talk about it or not, but I'm going to, <laughs> on their website. On their website, they're trying to do a scholarship to make it more like, for I don't know how they worded it, more like the blue-collar, average guy, and woman can get out there and do one of these once-in-a-lifetime types of hunts. And they want, it, as far as I understand, they want me to still help with trying to create an outline for how the they want the essays to be written.
0: Awesome, awesome. That's that's. So good. I
1: really, really want to encourage more people to get out there and do things like that. Because it is possible. You just have to think outside the box and figure out what your body and mind is fully capable of doing. And sometimes push yourself a little farther past that because there's no real breaking point until you physically know, okay, I'm done. If you feel that there's a little bit more in you, keep going because you can always go a little farther than you think.
0: Definitely, definitely. So – how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? There's a lot of anti hunters, but there's a
1: bigger community of pro hunters that are accepting of a lot of people and a lot of situations. So we just have to keep positive and not show those bloody pictures yeah. on Facebook and Instagram. Cause those are the ones that give us a negative, uh, look is when people are like holding up a dead deer with the tongue hanging out and the blood going everywhere i mean i'm guilty of it occasionally too at times but i try and give the animal respect that it deserves and only show really nice pictures like i i think i showed you the pictures of my caribou we tried to clean it up the best we could and put it in a position that it wasn't showing all the blood and guts and gory stuff And same thing with my antelope. We tried to position it so that it wasn't showing all of that stuff that people would see as a negative towards hunters. And we're not monsters. We're doing this in a conservation way. And a lot of people don't understand. Hunting is one of the biggest conservations in the world. Letting the animals do their own thing is potentially causing parts of the population to have issues like they are.
0: Yeah, cuz human intervention has always been a part of a part of it. We need to stay yeah, stay in it for conservation to work and animal numbers right. to grow and not decline. Um unfortunately, right. I think with the hunting photos, especially from the anti-hunting side, so not the people in the middle, but the anti-hunting side, they don't like any any animals being hunted, so they don't like seeing any photos no matter how well we present it. Um, Yeah. but those I people, agree. those people on the, on the edge, I think that a respectable photo could, could change their mind and tip yeah. them over to a positive way.
1: Yep. I agree. That's why, that's what I always thought too, was that
0: I have some
1: friends that don't hunt, but they're not opposed to it. They just don't want to see those negative pictures and videos.
0: Exactly. they
1: are excited for me they encourage me they love hearing my stories when I hunt and fish they they encourage me to do all of this and a couple of them have actually been out there with me while I've been hunting and fishing that's and right. they I can see that I'm opening up their minds a little bit more every time we go out
0: that's awesome so how would you change the public views on hunting and hunters
1: I would just try and continue to show them the positives in what the hunting community is doing. It is it is a big step to seeing all these animals that went from the brink of extinction, like mule deer and whitetail and elk. Elk were almost extinct in the United States back in the 1900s. And the same thing with bison. Bison were almost gone because of the hunter's over hunting just to try and get rid of the population and make civilization.
0: Yeah. The harvest hunters. Um, so yeah. What elk do you have in your area? It's Roosevelt elk. Is that correct?
1: We have mostly Roosevelt yeah. and there's a few Rocky mountain elk on the east side of the state. I don't know how far over they go over the Cascades. I've heard people saying that they kind of intermix on the east side of the the i5 yeah which is the main interstate going north and south and then i've heard that they the the definition of rocky mountain elk stops in the cascades or just east of the cascades so i don't know i've never talked to an actual biologist about it yet to see where the population intermixes or where there's an actual boundary line where they consider rocky mountain and roosevelt elk
0: and that's similar with blacktails and mule deer, isn't it? There's like a line that one side of the line, yeah. it's, it's blacktails, and the other side of the line, it's mule deer.
1: In theory, yes. But then there's also those intermixed groups that you'll see have some characteristics of a mule deer and they'll have a blacktail-sized body. Yeah. So they'll have like big giant ears of a mule deer and the, some of the facial features of a mule deer and hundred and fifty inch rack,
0: but they're the size of a black tail. Yeah, well. Wow. So that'd look look enormous. <laughs> right. Yeah. We see those, you'll
1: you can it's hard to decipher where they really came from. Yeah. Because I've seen a few here local that I'll show you a picture of one that I got on my camera, the one that I missed by ten minutes. Oh, when I saw him, I honestly thought it was a cross mule deer black tail because of his face was pure white with a black eyebrows. He had the giant ears and he had a big set of antlers on him. And I honestly wasn't sure what I was seeing at first because it was just far
0: enough out of frame that I could just tell it was, was a big mature buck. That's awesome. So yeah, what is hunting to you? To me, it's a passion that I will never outgrow
1: i will encourage family and friends and strangers that i meet to get out there and experience it no matter how long it takes to harvest your first animal or fish it's an experience everybody i think needs to try once to see if they really do like it or not
0: definitely because
1: i know i know people that said i'll never hunt anything in my life i am an animal lover i'm an animal lover too that's why part of Part of me does this yeah, because I want to see the populations grow and get stronger and better, bigger quality deer and elk. If you don't harvest a few of them, it's going to cause issues in their health because they're going to get sick from inbreeding. They're going to get sick because they're overpopulating and not eating enough of the correct plants and stuff. So.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, we value the animal as a whole. So we take the individual, where animal rights activists, they value the individual rather than the the whole.
1: Exactly, yep. And yes, I, I can see certain sides of their story. Yes, animals do have feelings. But they also need to be controlled in some way to a point. Not just completely eradicate them, but take out certain parts of the population of the animals to help the other parts of the population grow and get
0: stronger. Exactly. Exactly. So if people have enjoyed listening, listening to you, where can they, they find you on social media and reach out and say day?
1: So I'm on Instagram. It's making tracks outdoors with making and then underscore and then tracks underscore outdoors and then on my Facebook page is my first and last name, Evan Branick.
0: Very nice. Well, thank you for finally, finally um, coming on. I know it's been a bit of a struggle, like we said at the start, to work out the 17 and a half hours time difference <laughs> where we both both are free. <laughs> yeah but i re- definitely
1: an interesting time difference i didn't realize that it was a, a day and a half difference between us
0: yeah yeah it's uh, it's definitely crazy speaking to folks in america and yeah just having that 17 hour time difference it's like oh it's wednesday midday here and it's like oh it's tuesday night here <laughs> yeah it's
1: yeah it's like 3 15 over here right now on wednesday wednesday afternoon and it's early morning for you on thursday morning isn't it
0: yeah it's a quarter to eight here um we've got we've actually got a public holiday today normally i'd be working but the um Ah. because the queen died they've done the national day of mourning so i've used that for my my benefit and uh had a podcast (laughs) with you
1: (laughs) nice yeah it's sad that that happened but i'm glad we got to connect
0: Oh, I'm glad we got a public holiday that we don't have to work, <laughs> and, and then I could use <laughs> yeah, it to no. chat to you. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, yeah. No, nah, thank you very much for coming on. I, I very much appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm glad we got to talk. I'm glad I got to share parts of my hunting experiences, and I hope I encourage more people to do all of that. And I'm looking forward to seeing more people get out and do that kind of thing and contact me however they want to, to listen to more of my experiences.
0: Well, definitely. I I definitely think you're um, definitely putting a positive um, message out there. And you and a few of the other guys we spoke about earlier are doing a wonderful job of it. So thank you all very much. Yep.
1: Thank you again, Zach. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking more.
0: Yeah. Likewise, mate. Easy. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed today's episode, check out our socials, Hunting Connection Podcast on Instagram, Hunting Connection Podcast on Facebook, Hunting Connect on Twitter. Please share with your friends, family, tag us in your photos. If you really enjoyed the episode, share it to some friends. Um drop a five-star review on, um, wherever podcast platform you're listening. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, drop a written review, uh, just to help us grow. And yeah, thank you for listening. Have a, have a great one.